I V M. Hi, I'm Utsav, a behavior researcher by training and a slow traveler by passion. Postcards from Nowhere is a travel podcast where I condense a decade of travel experiences and explore not just the where but also the why and how to travel. My stories emerge from slow traveling the less explored parts of the world: Bosnia and Herzegovina, Armenia, Uzbekistan, and even China. At the end of each story, I give practical tips and new ideas about how to travel better. This week, we dive deep into Bangalore's obsession with Gobi Manchurian and how the language of sex and drugs impacts the way we experience our food. Early 19th century in the British trading port of Calcutta. Along the ancient route which connected China to the Mediterranean, a route which once brought Buddhism to Central Asia and China, a different commodity was being traded. Silk. Calcutta was the capital of British rule India when it was governed by the East India Trading Company. The city's relation to the British crown made it a great place for trade, which drew businessmen and immigrant workers from surrounding areas. Calcutta's very first Chinese settler was a southern Chinese man, Tong Atchu. In 1778, Atchu settled 20 miles southwest of Calcutta, founding a sugar mill along with about 60 Chinese laborers. Following Atchu's footsteps, waves of immigrants from the Guangdong province of China fled to India due to civil war, famine, poverty and conflict, searching for safety and prosperity. Hakka Chinese found their niche as cobblers and tanners, while the Cantonese settled mostly as carpenters and the Hubei people as dentists. Outside of these, there was one occupation which was popular amongst the wives of laboring husbands, being a restaurant. But much of the Chinese community in India fled after India and China went to war in 1962 and India started restricting the rights of Chinese residents. One such man's family decided to move to Canada, but he did not want to leave India. So, Nelson Wang left Calcutta and arrived in Mumbai with a princely sum of 27 rupees in his pocket. He worked his way up through a series of jobs in restaurants until he was ready to open a Chinese fine dining establishment in 1984. It was called China Garden, which is now a chain with outlets throughout India and Nepal. Nelson Wang's story could have been just another immigrant story, going from rags to building a respectable life for himself. Except that the man assimilated so well that outside of speaking three distinct Chinese dialects, Hakka, Cantonese and Mandarin, He spoke five Indian languages: Hindi, Bengali, Gujarati, Punjabi, and Tamil. But his real contribution came in the form of stamping his authority on India's culinary culture. The Manchurian. He started with chicken manchurian, a dish of diced chicken fried with a thick sauce of ginger, garlic, and green chilies, an essential combination in Bengali cuisine, together with soy sauce, corn starch, and sometimes vinegar and ketchup. This soon gave way to the famed Gobi Manchurian. Now, if you have not heard of Gobi Manchurian, please come to Bangalore. The city is obsessed with Gobi Manchurian, and few snacks rival its popularity. I would go as far as calling it Bangalore's addiction. People need their weekly dose of the dish and will travel far and wide. And if you speak to people who love it, they will tell you that it's like a drug. Now consider this: whenever we talk about inexpensive street food. We talk in drug metaphors. We say it's an addiction. We say I need my regular dose of it. 
In an analysis of restaurant reviews which served fast foods in the US, researchers consistently noted that they used the language of addiction when talking about the food. The terms drug of choice, crack, I need a fix and addicting drugs were used extensively. These guilty pleasures because of their fat, sugar and deep fried goodness invited the comparison to drugs. By placing the blame on the food, we are distancing ourselves from our sin of eating fried or sugary snacks. Research also found that women are more likely than men to use drug metaphors in reviews, suggesting that they are especially pressured to conform to healthy or low calorie eating. Now consider how we think about expensive foods, which are not always accessible to us. Adrian Lehrer, a linguistics professor at the University of Arizona, studied how wine reviews changed over time from 1975 to 2000. She noticed that in the 1980s, wine reviewers started using the body as a metaphor, starting to use words like fleshy, muscular, broad-shouldered, etc. They also began to emphasize the sensual pleasure of wine, using words like sexy, sensual, supple, seductive, and voluptuously textured. Researchers further examined the metaphor of sex through an analysis of a million restaurant reviews. They found an association. The more people liked the restaurant, the more mentions of sex in the review, the more expensive the restaurant was. The food which came to be most associated with sex was dessert. The terms used were tantalizing, orgasm on a plate, seductively gooey. Sticky, silky and gooey came up frequently. If you notice, these are all from the sensory domain of feel. When we talk about desserts, we talk about their feel in the mouth. Not their appearance, smell, taste or sound. But when we talk of inexpensive snacks or fast food, it's always about the taste or the sound. The crispiness of the Gobi Manchurian, the texture of green spring onions, the bite of the capsicum and the onion, and the sweet pungency of sautéed garlic. Inexpensive snacks are never melt in the mouth, dissolving on the tongue. John S. Allen, a research scientist at the University of Southern California, talks about why humans crave crispy food. He explains that sound enhances enjoyment. With non-crispy food, one tends to lose interest quickly. But when there is a crisp element, textured food, whole buckets disappear. Think about popcorn. He goes on to say, Think of functional imaging studies. If you visualize certain activities in your mind and do a scan of the brain, you will see that certain areas of the brain light up. So when you say the word crispy, it's only your mouth moving. But you've activated the whole system. The crispiness we feel as you bite into it and the ultimate reward, the release of flavor, is what makes us go back to fried foods all the time. The lack of crispiness dampens our idea of taste itself. We have been at the receiving end of soggy fries or a crisp dosa which has absorbed too much moisture in a delivery package. When we think of food, we often don't think of the language we use to describe it. But what language consciously or unconsciously does is shape our expectation of the food itself. Anytime the reality of food does not meet the language of expectation, we are disappointed with the food. As the cozy winters leave us and we head towards India's sweltering summers, here is a wish for you. I hope that this week you eat your favorite food and find the drug of your choice. This week, I hope you find your Gobi Manchurian. If you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. 
You can listen to us on the IBM Podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on our social media. We are at IBM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am Utsav Memory on Twitter and YV Travel 42 on Instagram.